From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony this Friday. Hope that you are doing so well as we head into the weekend before our celebration of independence, but it really is kind of a whole week wind up, isn't it? A couple notices for you. Always find this program at TonyPerkins.com. You can also find Tony at Tony underscore Perkins. couple ways for you to get involved. Updates from Family Research Council you should know about. Just updated our Planned Parenthood and Government Funding Map. Find out whether or not your state funds Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers or other abortion providers. You can find out the Planned Parenthood map and do that at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Again, it's frc.org slash pro-life maps to see how your state is doing. Also, if you want to make a positive impact in the lives of children in your community, FRC Action is hosting a school board boot camp for those interested in shaping their world more locally. And we're going to talk more about uh, critical race theory, everything woke that's going on in the school districts around the country and very likely in a school district near you. We hope that you will get involved, and running for school board is one of the best ways that you can do that. And in order to make that possible for those who feel called and prepared and ready to jump in and serve in that way, uh, this is a great opportunity to do so. The FRC Action School Board Boot Camp, encourage you to do that. Uh, Learn from former school board members, issue experts, and community leaders, and more. And visit FRC Action's Facebook page to find out more. Again, that's FRC Action's Facebook page to find out more. Lots to cover today in the program from Capitol Hill. Um, First, we are going to go to this week... um, this, this week, General Mark Miley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was questioned on Capitol Hill about whether critical race theory and other woke perspectives were being promoted in the military. Here's what he had to say. I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else, because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago. Our men and women in military uniform used to be trained to fight wars, but now, like many segments of our society, the military seems to have other objectives as well. Well, in char- generals in charge of our troops, like General Miley, like we just heard, uh, they're, they're coming up with reading lists for our military that look a lot more like Berkeley, California book clubs than preparation for military readiness. Well, one member of Congress is trying to stop that. And joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Dan Bishop from beautiful North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph. Happy Friday to you. Glad well, to be happy, with you. Fr- happy Friday to you, and it is a happy Friday, even <laughs> if Washington, D.C. seems to be perpetual chaos. Now, I would like your, your first reaction um, to uh, General Miley's uh, comments there uh, to, to Congress. So it is the latest concerning uh, signpost, if you will, to this critical race theory kind of epidemic that is spreading throughout institutions in the country. General Milley, you know, he, um, uh, it, it, there, there are a lot of things that are, that are very upsetting about what he said. Uh, he, he I, I followed just a few days Michael Gilday, who's a naval 
oper- uh, uh, commander of operations, and I had the same feeling in both uh, both testimonies when they were on the subject of the insubordinate quality of their of their bearing, if you will, to members of Congress asking questions. Uh, but the but the at the heart of what's concerning is the is is the content itself, where he says he wants to learn about white rage. That itself is a racist statement. His notion, he says he he read Marx. Well, Marx shouldn't be on a recommended reading list for naval officers or uh, military officers. That's the problem. They are in it. it you know, uh, Tucker Carlson said this. What if he had said, I want to learn about white supremacy, as if he's, you know, what he does is his implicit in his comment is he is crediting this notion of white rage as if it is legitimate. It is a grotesquely racist concept. It, it, it is. And I mean, you put any other race uh, before that term, you know, whether it's Hispanic rage or black rage or Chinese rage or anything else, and immediately um, people will bristle at the phrase. But because of the climate that we live in, you can say white rage and nobody uh, seems to object. Um, how is this being received on Capitol Hill? There's a, there's a debate. Um, what do you think the, the response is going to be to his comments? I've I've seen um, it, you know in notes and so forth that fly around posts on threads and, and the like that I, there are a fair number of members of Congress who are incensed by what he said. My reaction is actually a little bit different. Rather than being angry, uh, although I think it justifies anger, I believe it's another moment that should cause one to. to get very calm and very serious. We see things going on in our military, in our agencies, in, in, in huge corporations, in our K-12 education systems, where these purely racist concepts are being embraced openly, and, and folks positioned like General Milley are giving them are seeking to impart credibility to them. That is a an alarming and threatening situation for the country. Yeah. So I think the answer is to redouble uh, dedication. You made reference a moment ago to this is the time for moms and dads, citizens around the country, to step out and to correct this. Run for a local office. Get control of those offices where people are embracing this And woke, you know, the thing about the woke word that he made reference to, Joseph, is it seems it's almost too too lighthearted for the seriousness of the occasion. It's almost like you're poking fun with saying people are woke. It's this is very serious. Now, I think you're right. You are trying to do something about it. What what's what's your reaction to this? So I've offered two pieces of legislation uh, early last month, introduced with over 30 members each. Uh, more than 50 members, co-sponsors at this point in time, uh, one of which is focused specifically on the military. It is the the companion bill in the House to a bill introduced by Senator Tom Cotton in the Senate that bans the the use, the teaching, the spreading of critical critical race theory uh, concepts in the military. The military is the most dangerous of all for this to spread. The, the, the agency we rely upon to defend the nation that relies on there not being uh, divisions 
among soldiers. You can't see soldiers breaking down into affinity groups separated from each other, learning to resent one another. That would be that that threatens the very existence of the nation because the, the a military like that can't effectively defend the nation. So that's one bill. And the other is broader. It bans critical race theory concepts anywhere in the federal government, and it bans the use of federal money to advance those concepts anywhere. So it would not allow uh, local uh, uh, education agencies, for example, to to use federal funds to advance or teach critical race theory. And this this parallels efforts in a number of states around the country uh, to banish the use of state government funds for that purpose. So it's very important. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment, in my view. Yeah. What's your response to those who would say, oh, you're just trying to censor speech and uh, and make it illegal for certain perspectives uh, to be taught? Or I- I've heard cer- others say that you're making it illegal to basically be honest about America's history with racism. What's your response to that? Yeah, well, they're liars because it's not anything about history, the shameful racial history of the United States, which is a, which is verifiable fact, which is historical fact, and should be taught and is taught in every curriculum throughout the country. So th- there's there's no doubt about that. It doesn't speak to that. What it speaks to is the notion, the critical race theory, in, the concept embodied in, in that school of thought that says that our society is inherently, perpetually, currently, and always will be racist to its core, that that the that the white race is inherently oppressor, and uh, that other races are inherently victim or oppressed, and that it is it is a that is a concept. Those are concepts that are predicated on Marxian thought, driven by conflict theory in society. They seek the the radical reordering of society. They say it themselves over and over again. That is not a question of teaching the shameful racial history of the country. So yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think, that? you know, I, yeah, and those of us who are observers of these conversations, I think it's really important for us to to be aware of the fact that there are people who do not want us to get along. They, they profit off conflict, uh, both politically and financially. And so there is, a, there is an incentive uh, for many people, not most people, but for many people, many people who are driving the conversation to create divisions, and we cannot let that happen. Now, now Congressman, I want to transition to another issue that often uh, br- causes, uh, provides opportunities for a- accusations of racism as well. Because America's um, border czar and also Vice President Kamala Harris, as she finally made it to the border, um, what was your reaction to her visit there? Was anything accomplished? Uh, my friend Chip Roy uh, commented today that she was 750 miles away from the place where the crisis has been at peak for, for since well uh, since before inauguration, but particularly since the inauguration of President Biden, and she uh, sort of came through on her way to L.A. Uh, it, it is it is yet another sign how out of touch the Biden administration is about the nature of this crisis. Well, it, about what harm it's doing to the United States. They actually want the crisis. It would appear these are these are this is by design that you have this un uh, a border surge, a surge of illegal immigration, many many unaccompanied children and families with small children coming into the country, being sent into the interior of the country. It continues at the highest rate in 21 years. It's plateaued there for three months. There's no sign of it uh, of it uh, re- relenting. In fact, it's going up. And there's no effort by the Biden administration 
to attenuate the flood of illegal immigrants. In fact, what they're devoting all their efforts to is building the pipeline of how you can route them into the country faster. So, you know, her, her, her visit today was a bad joke, and it symbolized exactly what they've been doing on the border and that it is a, a something they intend to continue. It's, it's a, it is another great danger for the country, I'm afraid. So many strange things about this visit, um, because, as you mentioned, uh, nearly a thousand miles from the place where the border crisis really happened, where really where it really is. She essentially didn't leave the El Paso airport. She was in the state of Texas for like two hours, basically made a press <laughs> statement. But why did they make her? Why did they name her as the border czar? If, as it appears, this just really is an important issue for the administration. Well, and, and you've hit us upon something there, Joseph. They they felt for some PR reason the need to articulate that she's handling this. But I think the answer is that they that they want they know people are concerned about it. They want to say something to it, but they don't want to change what they're doing. That's the answer. Well, uh, they seem to be uh, saying something about it, but but also not doing much about it either. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop, uh, we appreciate you and your efforts and your time today very much. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, Joseph. Happy weekend to you. Bye. And we will continue to hear uh, from Congressman Bishop as he as he tracks these issues. And we're so thankful to him um, standing in the gap on this critical race theory, because I think he did a good job of explaining that this isn't merely a theory. This is a worldview. This is a philosophy that America cannot be teaching our our soldiers. Um, And we're going to revisit that. Other things going on on Capitol Hill when we come back. Stay with us. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? 
Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, taking you into the weekend. Just had a great conversation with Congressman Dan Bishop from the great state of North Carolina. We're going to stay in North Carolina now, and uh, and I guess in a, in a fair and balanced sort of way, prove to you that not everyone from North Carolina is trying to do the right thing, because other news of the week is the fact that North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper has vetoed an important pro-life bill that had been on his desk. And with me to talk about it is Travis Weber, the Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs and also the Director of the Center for Religious Liberty at FRC. Travis, welcome back. Thank you very much. Well, tell us uh, first just about the bill and uh, why it's so troubling that Governor Cooper vetoed this. Yeah, so... This bill is a uh, what's known as a prenatal non-discrimination act. It would prohibit abortions that are done specifically uh, for reasons related to the race of the child, sex of the unborn child, or presence of uh, Down syndrome diagnosis in that unborn child. So the bill is actually a fairly mild pro-life uh, protection, uh, pro-life statute. We wouldn't think it's too controversial to say, um, you know, we're not even prohibiting abortions in this bill. We're just saying if you're going to do them, they can't be done where they're being sought based on race, sex, or the disability of the unborn child. So that's all the bill does. And yet still Governor Cooper decided he can't have that. He has to veto it because the pro-abortion lobby is uh, so entrenched and has the Democratic Party so in its pocket, including Governor Cooper, that he just can't stand the idea that the law would prohibit a uh, abortion uh, for being done because the child has Down syndrome. So he basically supports the idea that you can go abort your unborn child because of Down syndrome diagnosis or race or sex of that child. So it is very troubling, and it, it shows you how radical the pro-abortion lobby is in this country that Cooper would veto this bill. Now, you, you, made, you mentioned just how kind of uncontroversial in a lot of ways uh, th- this bill is because it's not banning abortion. It's not overturning Roe versus Wade. It's just saying people shouldn't be killed just because of their physical disability. And we can understand historically why we would want that to be or because of its race, which in today's climate is interesting because this bill actually was passed with bipartisan support in the North Carolina House. Uh, I think there were six, maybe seven Democrats who supported it. Many of them were African-Americans. 
Um, do you think there's going to be a political backlash for him from this veto? I, I really hope so. I mean, I think people need to understand the position that he's taking here. And, you know, I think he's hoping this fades away. This was the last day that procedurally that he was permitted to veto this bill. If he had not vetoed it, or uh, it would have become law, or if he signed it, it would have become law. But uh, he vetoed it on the 20, June 25th, the last day, from a, uh, the 10-day period after it's, it's uh, submitted to the governor that he could veto it. And, um, you know, it's late in the day. He's hoping that this fades away. I think if people understand what exactly he is standing for with his veto here, uh, there will be a backlash because I don't know how any any American could stand up in today's day and age with all the issues our society is facing and say, we're going to stand for the ability to abort your unborn child because of the race of that baby. And that's what this that's what this bill prohibits. So if you're opposing this bill, you are supporting race targeted abortions and I think abortions and abortions targeted uh, toward the unborn child's disability. Right. And, and you make a point there that I think there's a silver lining in, in what you just said about when he when he vetoed this is it is actually encouraging to me because in politics, people do things they don't want anybody to know about on Friday afternoon and Friday evening because they're hope, you know, people are going to the they're going to the beach. They're going on vacation. They're doing their thing. They hope they're going to miss the news cycle that would cover this. And that's when Governor Cooper decided to do this. If he was excited about it, if he felt good about it, if he thought it was the right thing to do, if he thought it was going to help him politically, he would have done this at a press conference on Wednesday. But he chose Friday afternoon, and I think, to me, that indicates that he knows that his position is a loser. Do you agree with that? I do. You know, as you note, he would have called attention to the fact that he was vetoing it if he thought that it was a popular position to take or he wanted to draw attention to it. So this clearly shows he does not want to draw attention to this. And that that makes sense when you look at the pro-life momentum around the country. You know, we've um, this year alone, there's been 561 abortion related bills, including 165 abortion bans introduced in 47 states. 83 of those have been enacted in 16 states, including 10 bans. That's far more than we've seen in previous years. The pro-life momentum is on the upswing. Governor Cooper is on the other side of that. He's on the wrong side of it, and he knows it. And he's just trying to uh, protect his uh, political allies and do their bidding by supporting abortion at all costs in all circumstances, which is what this does. And people need to know about this, and uh, he needs to be called out for it. And I think this is a great opportunity to promote, once again, the updated um, pro-life maps that FRC has, frc.org slash pro-life maps. And you can go there and see how your state is stacking up. Now, Travis, because you know nothing happens in a vacuum, uh, politically speaking, do you think that this veto is going to discourage other states from maybe passing Apprenda? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a situation where um, in North Carolina – you know, he has a record of being um, uh, serious. You know, he's not indicated his pro-life bona fides in any fashion. So I think, you know, you have to look at Governor Cooper's situation where he's taken an abortion stance. Uh, the legislature, the lines are drawn pretty uh, – or the, um, the party lines in the legislature are pretty fixed in the political breakdown there. So I don't know. I think, you know, states are not going to look at this and think, oh, you know, it's politically unfeasible to pass and enact a prenda. We've seen them in other states. I think this is an instance where um, you see radical Democrats' uh, position on abortion on full display on this issue specifically, 
and uh, uh, that's what needs uh, people need to know about. And for more, they can go to frc.org slash prenda, P-R-E-N-D-A, to, see, to read more about these bills there. And so do that. If you, if you want to know more about Prenda Bills, frc.org slash P-R-N-D-A. Travis Weber, thanks so much for covering this for us and joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And we will, we got a, a, a great conversation coming up next. Stay with us. You don't want to miss this. Ohio, you know you've seen those videos about Parliament in uh, in Great Britain, where everybody's kind of yelling at each other and and clapping and shouting and screaming. Well, we have a version of that uh, that happened in Ohio, um, and we're going to talk about the bill and the bill sponsor who led to the outrage. It's a great story. Uh, courageous legislator Jenna Powell. We'll talk with her next. Coming up. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backlund sitting in for Tony. Yesterday, a courageous female Ohio State representative introduced an amendment to protect opportunities for women and girls in athletics by ensuring that they are not forced to compete against males on women's sports teams. And while she spoke on the state house floor, a male Democrat state representative loudly and rudely attempted to stop her from speaking, repeatedly shouting, point of order in an attempt to silence her. You need to hear it to believe it. This amendment will require schools that are part of the OHSAA to designate separate teams for participants of the biological sex. No school inter... No school interscholastic conference or organization 
that regulates interscholastics shall permit biological males to participate on athletic team or an athletic competition designated only for biological female participants. Wow. Um, I think the term for that might be mansplaining. Joining us now to talk about what provoked the outrage is Ohio State Representative Jenna Powell and someone who I am proud to count as a friend. Jenna, welcome to Washington Watch. Wonderful. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for having me on tonight. Well, so glad to have you. Um, Quite a scene on the floor. Have you ever experienced anything like that? You know, I think in the two and a half years that I've been in the legislature, that was probably the one of the worst outcries that we've seen. It's, it's very rare to have something like that on the Ohio House floor. So it was very surprising. Why was the reaction so strong? You know, I, I can't explain always why the the left doesn't like some of the things that we do. But, you know, this is a simple bill, um, an amendment to say, hey, we want to protect the integrity of women's sports in the state of Ohio. Um, I think the, the left gets frustrated and Oftentimes, they speak out in ways that are very inappropriate. Uh, When I had the House floor, the speaker did address me, which means I have the ability to speak. Um, Instead of, you know, waiting for his turn to speak, he decided to erupt into uh, yelling. And as you heard in the clip, just literally banging on top of his desk. And uh, I don't even think any of the members could hear my speech. That's how loud it really was. Though you did, uh, you did persevere, and props to you for doing so. And you, you didn't let him stop you. But you know, we we got to hear just a brief clip of of that. You know, I, I won't call it a debate, but the the outburst. Um, what was put it in context for us? What was the response amongst the other legislators who were in the room? You know, the other legislators are appalled. You know, this isn't how the legislative process is supposed to work. Um, I, as a member, have the ability to submit an amendment to a bill to make the bill better. Um, And that's kind of how the process works. But I think a lot of the other uh, legislators, I can't speak for the Democrats, but I know many of the Republicans um, thought it was completely out of turn. When the Democrats speak and we disagree with them, we allow them to speak. And then you have the ability to do rebuttal on the floor. Instead, he had a childish outburst and continued doing so until the speaker cut him off. Now, the amendment, and it, it was once a bill, and then it became an amendment, if I understand that correctly, but it actually passed by a fairly wide margin. Was there bipartisan support for protecting women's sports in Ohio, or was it a purely partisan issue? You know, unfortunately, there was not bipartisan support in the Ohio House. Uh, but when we look at data around this state, there is both Republicans and Democrats that are, that are constituents of our state that agree with the Save Women's Sports Act. Um, so I, I would have wished that some people would have spoke out on behalf of, of women in our state that were on the Democrat side. Well, Ohio Governor uh, Mike DeWine, who is a Republican, seemed to have some criticism for it. And he said, and a quote was, this issue is best addressed outside of government through individual sports leagues and athletic associations, including the Ohio High School Athletic Association, who can tailor policies to meet the needs of their member athletes and member institutions. What's your reaction to Governor DeWine's response? You know, I would say Governor DeWine's response is from an individual who's scared of the woke left and not willing to stand up for the many of the millions of women in our state. 
Um, you know, the Save Women's Birthday Act is just standing up for women in our state. But unfortunately, it's become a very partisan issue. It's become a political issue where the NCAA and woke corporations are threatening governors and threatening politicians. And instead of Governor Mike DeWine standing up and doing what was right for Ohio's children and Ohio's women, he instead kind of pushed the ball down the court and said, well, the OHSAA has the ability to make these, these laws and mandates. The thing about the OHSAA, though, is that they're not elected by Ohioans. We as representatives are. We as politicians are. And so this is where we have to step in and say, look, enough is enough. We have to protect Ohio females. So instead of Governor Mike DeWine doing what was right, he pushed the ball down the court and, and really kind of hid behind that so that woke corporations wouldn't come after him. Well, based on his comments, do you have any concern about a veto? You know, Governor DeWine has vetoed many of the conservative policies that the Ohio House and Senate have sent his way. And so, look, I have no doubt that Governor Mike DeWine will, again, veto a conservative piece of legislation. Uh, But the beauty of that is the Ohio legislature does have the ability to override a veto, and it wouldn't be the first time that we've done that. And and so how is that playing uh, amongst your colleagues? You have Republican majorities there in Ohio, a Republican governor who, in theory, is on the on the same side. What's the dynamic there, the relationship between the governor's mansion and and everyone else? You know, ever since COVID started, there's been a large um, barrier between both the House, the Senate and the administration because the administration is not listening uh, to to the, our branch of government. And so that's really where we're looking at the governor and saying, and this is no surprise to us. He continues doing this to us. He continue turning, continues to turn his back on Ohioans holistically that are, that are wanting support. Well, Jenna Powell, we appreciate your courage in, in standing up, and not only for women, but standing up uh, to the bullies that even appear in the House of Representatives. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. And stay with us. Uh, Coming up on the other side, we're going to talk about uh, thinking biblically about race. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, 
the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backel sitting in for Tony. As we end the program, a story that is essentially a congratulations to you, the listeners of Washington Watch. And why is that? Why do you deserve some uh, plaudits today? Well, as Christians, everything we do should be an outgrowth of our faith, our beliefs on government policies, are a natural outgrowth of who we are as Christians living in America. But some on the left have been outraged to discover that religious beliefs actually impact people's actions. Recently, uh, Congressman Jared Huffman threatened to strip away the tax-exempt status of the Catholic Church if pro-abortion politicians were denied communion. And Tony Perkins called Congressman Huffman out for demanding an unconstitutional governmental overreach into religious affairs. Now, Congressman Huffman didn't take kindly to the criticism and responded by calling Tony an anti-abortion zealot who is, quote, sending an army of angry online goons to threaten and attack me. Here is Tony's discussion from Washington Watch earlier this week with the Catholic League's president, Bill Donahue. You can draw your own conclusion about whether is Tony is deploying what Congressman Huffin calls an army of goons. But i got to say to you, uh, Tony, in one sense he's done us a favor. I, I want to know now, now that he's broken the ice, and we have, he's already floating the idea to take away the taxes against the status of the Catholic Church. By the way, that's been tried many times before, so good luck with that. I want to know how many other Democrats feel that way, Catholic or non-Catholic. I don't care who I, I, will, I really know, want to know because there's a serious problem in the Democratic Party today with religious liberty. Well, a couple things are clear, and that was, it was again, Bill Donahue from Washington Watch, as Tony was raising this issue. Um, and that was not, it was a criticism, but it's not deploying an army of goons by any means. But the good news is, and the reason why you should all give yourselves a round of applause, is because when pro-lifers like you do small things and reach out to their members of Congress, when they try to revoke your religious freedom, 
it makes an impact. And that's the important thing uh, to note, that Washington Watch audience gets mobilized. Tony raises an issue. You guys respond to contact your congressman. The congressman doesn't like it because in many ways, I think they might even know that they're wrong. But they certainly don't appreciate uh, the, the communication. Also, uh, just an aside, it's interesting that when when from a congressman's perspective, when people you agree with contact you, they're concerned citizens. When people you disagree with contact you, they're online goons. Well, good job to all of you. And now for our usual Friday afternoon conversation with David Clausen, FRC's director of, center, of the Center for Biblical Worldview. This week, we're going to have a conversation that will help us think biblically about race. David, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Great to be with you. Well, we're glad to have you as always. But before we get into our conversation, you had a great week at the uh, religious at the uh, National Religious Broadcasters, the NRB. That's right. Did I get that right? Yeah. No. We are so grateful for National Religious Broadcasters. They had their 2021 national conference. I think it was about 3,500 people from across the Christian media world were there. And just had an opportunity uh, to share about uh, our new Center for Biblical Worldview and the different resources uh, that FRC has to serve pastors and churches and Christian parents. Um, part of that, those resources are the blogs that you and I write each week, Joseph. Uh, this week is uh, Thinking Biblically About Racism, and all those resources can be found at uh, frc.org slash worldview. And, and as one who is part of it, it's really exciting to see kind of the launch and the, really the, the need and the hunger for this information because, I mean, it is all about worldview ultimately, why we care about policy, why we care about what's ha- happening in government. But it's been, for me and I know for you as well, really encouraging to see the response. But this week, and as we do in our Friday afternoon conversations, we talk about an article that we publish um, at frc.org slash worldview, and you can go get that article, um, Thinking Biblically About Race. But we talk about a handful of um, just ideas that I think are principles from Scripture that will help us um, navigate these conversations about race. We talked earlier um, about the critical race in critical race theory in the military. Um, Critical race theory is its own conversation within this broader conversation about race, which is always happening, it seems, and really difficult. Um, so these principles, we hope, will help you talk about those things. So let's let's run down these. Uh, we don't have a, we're not going to be able to dwell, unfortunately, David, on too too much on any one of these points, just because we got to get through uh, what is it, eight of them. Um, but let's let's try, let's do our best and see what we can do before the clock runs out. First one, God made us different on purpose. Why does this matter? Do you think? It matters, uh, Joseph, because, you know, we're, you're thinking about, and I know we're going to have to go through these quickly, but just to define our terms, you know, what is racism? I think that's an important place to start. Yeah. And Merriam-Webster just says racism is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. So that That's what racism is. And the principles you walk through in your blog, starting with the fact that God made us different on purpose, that's a great place to start because let's let's acknowledge what is a reality is that there are many races and ethnicities, and the Bible doesn't shy away from that. Acts 17.26 says that God made from one man all the different nations that exist, and that's intentional. We're all made in God's image, but there's no reason to minimize the, the differences in, in things such as race. 
and, and for me, it's important that we don't have to ignore them. You know, people throw out the term colorblind, which to me is kind of weird. Like nobody's – I mean, I think when you're like – Two-year-olds might actually be colorblind, like they don't notice those things. But by the time you're an adult, I mean, you notice if somebody looks much different than you, right? And it's like being, I made the point about being height blind. It's weird, you know, I'm a 5'8", maybe 5'9", on a good day guy. You know, if somebody's 7 feet, it'd be weird for me to, like, try to pretend I don't notice that they're 7 feet tall, right? This is the same way. I'm a white guy. It's weird if I try to deny, oh, I didn't notice that you're black, or I didn't notice that you're Chinese. That's just, a, that's just weird. So we don't have to, like, pretend it's not real, but it's... It's from God, right? So no, no, I agree with you, Joseph, and I think that's that's important just to acknowledge, and that's what the Christian worldview does. It acknowledges that there are, you know, there are differences, uh, and we'll get into it later in the points. But that's not what's most important about us, right? Point number two. Moving on, God does not show favoritism, and of course, um, though we have differences, this to me matters because, despite our differences, God does not show favoritism in the way he treats us based on the way he created us. He doesn't he doesn't like us better because some people are taller or shorter or, you know, funnier or less funny or smarter or less intelligent. God shows no favoritism, does he? He doesn't. And, and ultimately, Joseph, that's what is so sinister about racism, this idea that one race is inherently superior to another race. It's so sinister and, and sinful because you're making distinctions thereby showing favoritism. And, and James, too, could not be clear that God abhors it when we show favoritism based on subjective things such as wealth status, economic status, or, or something as different, you know, as like uh, skin pigmentation. Uh, God does not uh, allow favoritism, and therefore, as those who follow him, we shouldn't practice any sort of favoritism either. And because God does not show favoritism, it follows then, point number three, that God hates oppression. And I think this is important because this is where um, maybe the left and the right, there should be agreement on this. Because critical race theory, at least in, in theory, is a, is a response to, in an attempt to eliminate oppression. And at least we, we agree on the goal, don't we? Even if we may have differences, opinions about how they're trying to accomplish that. We do agree on the goal, but God hates oppression. Yeah, absolutely, and I, obviously I think you and I would argue that critical race theory is really – it takes a different, wrong approach. But yeah, ultimately, you know, no one wants oppression in our culture. No one wants oppression, and I think as Christians, you know, we have uh, the Scripture, uh, Proverbs 14.31, which you point out in your blog, Proverbs 22, uh, verses 22-23, that show that God hates it uh, when there is uh, oppression. And so, again, as, as those who follow God – uh, we need to be the the church to be the one that has the loudest voice uh, for the vulnerable. Again, that, going back to James, true religion is caring for the widows and those in distress. And so, whenever we see oppression happening, Christians need to be and have historically been on the front lines, uh, draw, trying to rectify wrong. And I actually, and I do think it is important. To, when we have these conversations to establish those points of agreement because it's weird in the conversation about critical race theory how so much of this seems to be definitional because there seems to be yeah. sincerely a group of people in America who think that some of us on the right don't want to acknowledge that racism exists or don't want to acknowledge that slavery is bad or that um, you know racism has existed in the past or still exists. And so some of them are surprised when they're like, 
when we tell them, yes, we want to eliminate oppression too. And, and, and I, so I do think it is an important point. I mean, it seems obvious maybe to some of us, um, but it's important. And I'm going to go to point number four, which is related because it says, because God hates oppression, the fourth point is, God wants us to come to the aid of the oppressed. We don't just stand back and say, oh, that's too bad, do we? No, you're right, Joseph, and I just think it's so important to underscore the fact, because uh, what you just said, I think conservative Christians are often dismissed as not caring about racial reconciliation. Uh, let, let's be really clear, Joseph, uh, maybe someone's listening who doesn't agree with us on some other issues that you and I normally talk about. Any, wherever racism appears, it is sinful and an affront to a holy God. Uh, the Bible is clear uh, that one of the reasons, you know, Jesus came to establish reconciliation between God and man, but he also came to establish reconciliation between us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 talks about that one of the things Jesus did is he broke down the dividing walls between us and established one new man in himself. And so Christians, uh, we shouldn't shy away from talks about racial reconciliation because that is one of the outworkings of the gospel is that you and I can be reconciled uh, with people who look different than us. And so what you said in point four, the gospel compels us to go to the aid of those who are oppressed. In addition to that, Christians and, and it cannot be passive, which is an important point, I think, to drive home here is when we see oppression, we don't just lament it. We solve it. Psalm 82, 3 yeah. and 4. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and of the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver mm-hmm. them from the hand of the wicked. These are action verses that don't, yes. uh, don't give us the option to just sit on our couch, watch something on the news, and say, oh, that shouldn't happen. Somebody should go do something about it. We are the somebody that needs to go do something about it. But there's a flip side to this coin, which leads us to point number five. The oppressed have responsibilities too. David, when we are the ones who are being oppressed, how does God want us to respond to that? He doesn't want us to lash out, Joseph. In fact, Jesus, uh, in the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, uh, he tells us to love our our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And so, you know, I think at at some point all of us are going to be on the receiving end of persecution or bigotry. And, you know, the the human instinct is to ball up our fist and to lash out to defend ourselves. And what does Scripture say? It says, leave vengeance to God, and we're supposed to love those who persecute. And that's one of the unique things about the Christian ethic that definitely sets us apart from other worldviews. It does, and I think it's it's an important balance because God does hate oppression. He does want us to do things about it, but recognizing that the world is broken, it always will be broken. He wants us to ultimately leave the revenge and the vengeance and the ultimate justice up to God. And when we check our own hearts and discover that our motivation is not simply righting a wrong, but taking revenge on people we have developed bitterness to, that's when Scripture calls us to repentance. And we have to actually be able to love people who have done wrong to us. And when we know that's not our motivation, we need to check our own selves. Sixth point, God cares more about our actions than our skin color. Why is this important? I think it's important you underline in the blog, you know, our today's culture is so fixated on what people look like and these, you know, external characteristics, but our faith teaches us that what's most important is on the inside, 
And that's, you know, I think of the story of Samuel and David, and man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. And so from our heart is where these actions come from, and that's what ultimately is really, really important, Joseph. Right. And an intersectional worldview uh, would tell us, and, and frankly, that's one of the components of critical race theory, is that your primary identity is your racial identity. And that is a uh, an unbiblical concept. Uh, again, God created us that way, but it is not our primary identity. We should not view it as our primary identity. Seven, racism is a symptom and not the disease. Why is this important? Because... We often, we, we all want to deal with racism, but it's important to understand that even if we were all the same color, we would still try to find reasons to make ourselves feel better than other people because the root problem of racism is pride, which transcends racism in every other sin, doesn't it? I agree. The, the root of racism, again, wanting to be superior to other people, it's that fundamental human problem of pride, and we can trace all sin back to what happened in Genesis 3. So I think that's a helpful way to think about it, Joseph. Which leads us to our last point, and I'm almost surprised we're even getting through it. Point number eight, (laughs) your biggest problems in life are inside you. And this is connected to the last point, that racism is a symptom, not a disease. That uh, so much of the conversation about race, so much of the social justice movement, as much as they accurately identify a problem, It is error if we believe that we're going to solve all the problems in our life by fixing the environment around us, by fixing the assignment uh, or the the systems um, around us. Because ultimately, because racism is a root of pride, it's a function of what's going on in our heart. We have to win that battle first. Yeah, you're right. Other worldviews, Joseph, try to put a Band-Aid on a gashy wound. The gospel gives us the true answer that can ultimately free all of us. David Clausen, we we got it done. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, And for the rest of you, we are going to be back next week with a brand new leading up into 4th of July. A lot of great programs with you on Washington Watch. Look forward to being with you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.